Tonight we're talking about the virtue of charity. Remember the three theological virtues that come were mentioned in St. Paul's epistle to the first epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 13. He concludes by saying, "So faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love." So we're going to be talking tonight about the greatest of the three theological virtues. The others all build to it and lead up to it. And it completes all of the virtues, both the theological virtues and the more, you know, the cardinal virtues that we talked about, like prudence and, 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 and so forth. All right. But what is love or charity? I mean, maybe we have a sense of what love is. I mean, we see it in our parents. Maybe we... Maybe we've uh, seen it in our own lives. Uh, We've seen it on TV. Okay, there we're getting a little bit out of line from what love means when we talk about the theological virtue of charity. What does charity mean? You think, well, giving money to people who need it. Well, that's part of it. I think we use the word charity for that when we mean, in the theological virtue, something much, much more. That's a piece of it. Love, or charity as we're talking about, is a total giving of self. And that gift of self comes not from us, because it's a theological virtue. We can do it to some degree with the natural uh, uh, graces that we have. But the theological virtue of charity comes from God. So what is this? You know, where does it come from? It comes from God. Looking at one of my absolute favorite parts of the Bible. The, epistle, the first epistle of St. John. John is called the apostle of love. Because this epistle just is so imbued with love. And he says in chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. At the very heart of what we understand God to mean is that God isn't alone. God is a communion of persons united in love. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons, so intimately united in love that St. John tells us here, God is love. And that love he makes available to us. Later on in that same chapter, chapter 4 of 1 John, he says, uh, he says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and he who fears is not perfected in love. We love, he says, because he first loved us. So ultimately, love, the theological virtue of love, this total gift of self that really isn't a feeling, the theological virtue of love comes to us because God loves us. And we receive it like we receive all of the graces of the, of, this, of, of the Holy Spirit in our baptism. When we are baptized into Christ and we take on Christ. He who is love. 
Now, of course, we're stupid, simple human beings, and we can screw that up, and we do all the time, right? We mess it up, and we fail to make ourselves avail, to avail ourselves of that great gift, and we're going to talk about some of that uh, a little bit later uh, tonight. But, you know, I want to turn to another great passage in Scripture on love, and that is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is, if you're going to memorize a chunk of Scripture, this is a good one to memorize. A lot of people have it read at their weddings. This is where St. Paul talks about. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, pretty amazing powers, he's saying. If I have that, but have not love, I am nothing. And even if I give all that I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And then he goes on to describe what this love is. He says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And he goes on to talk about how so many other things that we do end But love never ends. Now, a lot of times, like I say, people will have this read at their wedding. And it's a beautiful reflection on love. And the bride and groom are all smiles. And when I've had occasion to preach at these weddings, and I'll say, you'll notice what he does? He never once mentions a feeling. Because love isn't a feeling. You love your family. You love your brothers and sisters. You know, sometimes you can't stand them. But you love them, right? Because love isn't a feeling. It's an act of the will. It's a gift of yourself. And so that gift, to some degree, we can touch it with the natural graces God gives all of us. But he makes available to us because he first loved us. He makes available to us in our baptism the ability to give ourselves with that same, you know, total offering. With the same love that he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. I'd like to uh, continue talking about love by mentioning a little bit about the definition, the official definition. Uh, What I love about what uh, Deacon just mentioned is the reality comes from God. The reality of love, as it says in the Epistle of John, God is love. Sometimes we need to have little definitions to help us to remember. Uh, So we can have a definition, we have the example of God. For example, God so loved the world that he gave what? God so loved the world, John 3.16, that he gave his only... It's amazing. He was the best and gave the best to us. This is how we remember what love is. Love, as Deacon mentioned, 
is not a feeling. Sometimes it's accompanied by a feeling. Uh, But it is not a feeling. It is an act of the will where we are choosing, and this is very important, boys and girls, personally doing something that's good for something, somebody else. God is goodness, truth, and beauty. God wanted to share that with us, and so he sent his only son. So we could literally see the truth, hear the truth, and literally see the love and the forgiveness of God, and of course experience it, and draw benefits from it. Boys and girls, it's not just a matter of saying, oh God, you did everything for me, thank you. No, as you heard from that reading about, you know, when we hear at marriages, God is, you know, love is patient. You are meant to be somebody who can love. And I don't mean just liking. I like a lot of things. I like certain kinds of food, certain kinds of dessert. I like a certain kind of iced tea. I like a lot of different things. I like walking in the spring and hunting in the fall. I like fishing at the beginning of June and then fishing again in September. I do not like fishing in August. Don't like it. Hot. Too hot. But again, I am not going to say I love fishing. I love God. I am called to love all of you. I love all of you. I'm called to love you like a father, which means, guess what? That I have to give you the best that I've got. I have to give you the truth of Jesus Christ. Father McConville and I have the opportunity to give you his mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation. And we don't just do that by saying, go to confession, and you can go to confession at Assumption or some other church. No, Father and I personally sit in the box for sometimes an hour and a half or longer so that you might be freed from your sins. Like all of us need to be freed from our sins. I go to confession too. But notice it's something that's very personal. You have to do it. You have to choose it. And it's got to be something that's good. So to give you some concrete examples, you shouldn't only want to do something good for your mom and dad. And by wanting, I mean like imagine like, oh yes. Yes, I can imagine doing the dishes. No, no, maybe if that's your chore, remember, if it's not your job and you don't know how to handle the crystal or the glass, always ask your parents first. They can help direct your skills and your energy properly. But you want to have your love be something that is seen or heard. First and foremost, pray for your parents. If you love them, pray for them. If you love your siblings, pray for them. Next, be kind, thoughtful, courteous, just like a long list with what Deacon mentioned. All of those things are a part of love because if love is something good, guess what? That means any good thing you do is an act of love. Isn't that simple? Amazing? And it doesn't have to be a present. I've already told you this. But we just had Mother's Day, and my mother would always say, you don't need to get me a rose for Mother's Day. Love God and be good to your siblings. Get along. 
You'd think we didn't get along, but you know, there were eight of us. So make sure that your love is what we call concrete. It actually is an act, a thought, a word, something where we can give ourselves in thought, word, and deed to God and to our neighbors, to our family, and to strangers if necessary too, when we run across strangers. And so, boys and girls, this is something that is real. And we grow in love by practicing it. Practice makes perfect. And the word perfect means made through. You want to be someone who always is thinking good thoughts. In other words, you know, I want to give someone the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they didn't mean to hurt me. Or we are choosing to do good actions and helping them cooperating, or maybe we're saying something kind, or guess what? Choosing not to say something can be a very good thing sometimes and an act of love. One thing I wanted to make sure to mention is charity in regards to the love of God within us can be lost. When we commit a deadly sin, we are not able to love as God wants us to love. This is one of the reasons why we don't want to stay in sin. We can still love in a very, in a good human way, but it's not the same. And so let us not commit acts of hatred that are contrary to love, where we wish something evil of someone else. Let us make sure, too, that we go to confession as soon as we can, if we have a deadly sin on our soul, so that our love can be lifted up like God's love is. And now for Father McConnell. So talking about the theological virtue of love, giving of ourselves to others, what's in it for me? Right? What do I get out of this proposition? I'm giving myself to other people. What do I get? Ooh, hmm. Sounds problematic, doesn't it? But we do get something. Because the beautiful thing about love is gift. That as we give, we also receive from others. It's a beautiful exchange that goes on. In fact, that's what we, and we hear in the, uh, the prayers of the Easter season at Mass. Uh, at the offertory, almost every uh, Mass, there's words to the effect, in this holy exchange that God's Son gives his life to us. And so we live our life as an offering to him. As Deacon mentioned, the theological virtue of charity is a gift to begin with, which is a reflection of the love of God within the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a communion of love. This is how we're built. So to say what's in it for me is everything. This is what we're made for. We are made in the image of God, which means that we look like God in how we act how we fulfill that life we've been given. So what I want to talk about is sort of the end of the story. 
Because here we are, our last session together for the year. So we want to get to those two magic words, the end. So talk about the end. We recognize that our life here on earth is limited. We're born, we live, and we die. But that's not the end of the story. The end of the story propels us into eternity. We have a soul that is eternal. Even though our earthly body has a due date, and we don't know when that is, we have an eternal life that we live. So how that virtue of charity is lived in this life, how it is that we have developed this, again, charity is a virtue, a virtue is a good habit, how we practice this virtue under God's grace, which is love, and we said God is love, so we're actually sharing in the life of God himself as we're living the life of charity. How we choose to do that here in our limited time has an effect on eternity. And so we say that, well, we recognize that death comes to us all. Then the decisions we've made are ours to live with. We can either choose to live for myself, what's in it for me, I don't care about anyone else. We call that reality hell. And somebody once said, hell is locked from the inside. That is, it's not going to be a surprise. We've chosen it. We've chosen to live away from other people. We've chosen to refuse to build up the good of other people. We've chosen only me, 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 me. And guess what? God says, I honor your choice. I'm not going to force myself on you. I gave you freedom. You choose not to have me in your your life, then I can't force myself on you. And I get eternity with me. Dreadful. So the alternative and what we're called to, and what God invites us to, is that communion. Because that's how we're made. We're made to be connected. God wants us to be, but it's our choice. It's an invitation. It's not a demand. So heaven is that communion realized for all eternity. One story I always like to use, and I've used it before, but I'll say it again. When I was in high school, I used to be in theater. Theater. Acting. You would never know that from me now. But in my acting, uh, we, I remember we were in a, a final rehearsals, dress rehearsals for a show, and everything was going wrong because everybody was all concerned about themselves. And they weren't thinking about the production together. And our director sat us all down on the stage. And he would do this actually every year. So we kind of got used to it. We started calling it, we're going to get Talk 47. It's time for, and, and, that, and the, those of us that had been in a few shows would say, Talk 47. And sure enough, it'd be Talk 47. And what he would say is, let me tell you something. He said, there's a fellow who was given a vision of hell and a vision of heaven. He said, hell, when he got there, he saw this dining room with this immense table. 
all sorts of chairs around it. And the table was just loaded with food, delicious, wonderful, great smelling, wonderful food. And the, the table was just about ready to break, it was so full. And there were people seated in those chairs all around that table. And they were miserable. And he couldn't understand why are they miserable? They've got, look at this food. As he looked closer, he saw that all the people at the table didn't have elbows. And so they would grab the food, the wonderful food, and they couldn't get it in their mouths. They had no elbows. And so they were lamenting and crying and just miserable. And so then this man is ushered into heaven. And in heaven he sees the exact same dining room, the exact same table, laden with the exact same food. And people sitting around that table and they're laughing and singing and enjoying themselves. And as he looks closer, he sees why. The people still don't have elbows, but they're feeding each other. And that's what we're about, is that feeding one another. And that's what our director would say. Stop doing this for yourself. Do it for each other. And that is really the end of the story, is how we spend our lives here. Heaven would be miserable for us if we're all about me, 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 me. Heaven only makes sense when we've allowed that life of charity to blossom within us. So may we always respond generously to God's call to know him, to love him, to serve him in this life, so as to be happy with him forever in the next. The end.